podcast made by, for, and about the Oscars. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexander. I don't even remember how I start these shows anymore, so I'm just going to say it. Yeah, this is this is Fans on the Run, Back from the Dead, uh, Alive and Well, although Well might be a bit of a stretch. I am still Ethan Alexanian, I think. I A part of me has died over the past few months, uh, but I think I think I can still do this. Well, we're we're going to find out today. Today is going to be sort of a, a testing exercise, as well as an episode. Um, our, our, my guest today is just, he, he's dying to talk. So I'll, I'll, I'll let him introduce himself. Can I do it in interpretive dance? Um, if it was a video podcast, you sure could. But yep. it is not. All right. Well, Going back to the days in Waterford City, there was a mother and a father, and they had this little baby that they called Orr. And he gravitated to the Beatles, and they said to themselves, well, one day, he'll be a writer, and he'll write about the Beatles. Uh, so, I mean, you can check out my review of Get Back on farupmagazine.co.uk. In, ca- in case you don't know who my guest is, he is Owen Ling. Owen, welcome oh, back. Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot to say my name's Owen Ling. Okay, sorry. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's like half the introduction right there. Um, there's a certain Sam Wiles, who introduced me as Ewan Ling, but we'll let that slide. Uh, my name is Owen, like the football player Michael Owen. Owen Ling. You, you talk to me like I'd understand a thing about football. I don't look at me. Do I look? Oh, the, the, the listeners can't see it, but I mean, I don't have yeah. the physique of a football player. I have the physique of a of a seventies rocker, shall we say? Uh, I'm, I'm, I think we should we should just drop the facade of like talking to the audience because oh. right from the beginning, the show has never been for other people. It's basically been an exercise in vanity just an excuse for me to talk to people. So I think I should just conduct it that way. I mean, you might as well record Lie Down with Lions 2, if that's the case. Can this be our Lie Down with Lions 2? Sure. Okay. Uh, no, I'm... Okay, I'm a, uh, unlike you, I don't have a tremendous mellifluous radio voice. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer, if not by trade, by... By lunacy, I suppose, because only a lunatic would would, would go into writing. I mean, uh, the anxiety, the elation, the, the frustration. Uh, I've written I've written a book on you two, and I'm finishing a book on George Allison. George Harrison. He he was that guy who was in the Traveling Wilburys, right? Yeah, I mean, he was like getting the quit on them until they would see them around the clubs. Oh, that's right. You know, I'm, I'm surprised nothing has happened really big in in the Beatles world since I since I've been taking a break. Like it's been really quiet. You, you would have thought they would have put out something. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not like they've unleashed you know an eight-hour documentary to rival the Lord of the Rings. Never fulfilled. Uh, 
I told me that could. And, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm proud to say or not, but fans on the run is pretty much as of right now the only podcast that has not interviewed Peter Jackson, or Michael Lindsay Hogg, or anyone involved. But you, you are speaking to someone who wrote a review about it. So. That I am. That I am. Which, in some ways, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's every time, you know, if I was in McCartney's position and someone came up to me with a knife point, I would simply point, take out my pen and say, take that. <laughs> well, I could easily make a joke about one of the Beatles in a situation involving a knife, but I will. Uh, I will delicately walk around that. That's very nice of you. That's, that's the moral high ground. Yeah. yeah, which is a first for me, taking the moral high ground. If only because I'm I'm them. a bit of a degenerate, usually. Yeah. Um, no, uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're almost like Peter Serenakovich, you know, with your Who knows how long I loved you but you will love me still. Maybe I can come and get you if you want me to. Me too, I'll kill. <laughs> oh, I love Peter Serenakovich. I, I, I forgot that's how the last time we recorded it went. It was basically <laughs> a, an hour and a half of us just quoting Peter Serenakovich yeah. sketches to each other. Probably the reason why we haven't released it. Yeah, it's it's one of the one of the few lost fans on the run episodes. Oh, Although yes. it's it's because when I listened back to it, I could hear how you know how burnt out I was. And I'm like, yes. okay, no, this this has to go in the archives. I like to think that episode is our carnival of light. It is our carnival of light. Exactly. It's probably you, you said that. I remember. This This is not the first time this has been addressed. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard Carnival of Light, but anyone who has Ian MacDonald or Mark Lewis and say it's nothing but a load of crap, so it's probably better. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's... Um, I, I was listening back to a... This is a, a complete uh, uh, tangent... I was listening back to an old episode of the show, and God, the amount of times I would try and start a sentence and saying like it's, and then just kind of try and start again. You could make a drinking game out of it. Don't mind if I do. I am Irish. Well, that that you are. Yeah. You yeah. are Eog Han Ling, after all. And you little fecker. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So yeah. I... I can't quite do Wilfred Bramble. Hello. Hello. Congratulate me, boys. I'm engaged. And then, what's, what's interesting, in real life, he actually had a very mellifluous sort of RP voice, so he spoke like that in interviews. And Wait, so, really? Oh, yeah. We're genuinely shocked in real life when they found out he wasn't English. He's a hell no dear boy. I'm Irish. Whoa. I, I need to catch up on my my Wilfred interviews. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a, it was of the time in say, a, similar to George Martin. If you wanted to succeed in life, you had to change and talk a bit more like that. I, I'm sure you've seen the, the the sketch where it was a 
Adolf Hitler, but if he had the voice of George Martin. Yes, yes, that's so, Kevin, Kevin Eldon. Uh, before that, he was on a show written by... Big Train. Big Train, yeah. Um, yeah, the, one of the writers on the show, Graham Linehan, is someone I want to curse, and I wish I, I despise utterly for, for his continued... Yeah, but the other writer, Arthur Matthews, is a really lovely man, and I interviewed him, and he said that Kevin Eldon came up with the impression of George Martin by himself, and they wrote the sketches around that. Well, I mean, I don't think anything can top in in the Beatles comedy world the mm -hmm. the sketch of George Martin uh, being kidnapped by oh. terrorists. Mr. Martin, how do you feel? Well, yeah. Like well, the boy certainly never took drugs in front of me. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm really. I mean, only have to listen to his tomorrow never knows rain to see that he's quite an accomplished producer. You know, I we're we're about ten minutes in. I think it's probably it's probably time I should ask you a question. So, how did you first discover the Beatles? I well, I don't think I discovered them. I think they discovered me. Um, okay, let me rephrase the question. How did the Beatles discover you? Uh, that's a very good question. I'll, I'll give you a more serious. Uh, so we had, growing up in my home in Waterford, we had a copy of the Yellow Submarine, which came out in 1999. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit older than you, but I was, but I'm not that old. I was born in 1993. So this would have been when I was about six or seven, when the Yellow Submarine, which is, so it's all the songs that are featured in the film. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, all together now, it also has... Think for yourself, or Sergeant Pepper, and all. So it's a compilation based on the soundtrack. I, I still think it's incredibly weird that "Think for Yourself" is on the soundtrack, yeah, or the the song track, even though it only appears for like four seconds in the film, and even then, it's just kind of like isolated vocals. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen Yellow Submarine. Uh, but a film we watched religiously in my house when I was about 10 or 11 onwards was Our Day's Night. We mentioned Wilfred Bramble. Uh, and it was actually the first black and white film I remember loving because at that point of the age where black and white was boring. And suddenly, you know, they're zipping and these four guys are running and racing and throwing themselves. And you've got this, you know, obnoxious Englishman saying, I'm going to take you, risk you, Ringo. And, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and there were some songs in it as well, which were pretty good. The songs? I know. I thought that's just how they talked. No. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I think it was probably launching from A Hard Day's Night, I think. But really, around the time Pubert hit, I think my Beatle obsession hit when I was about 14. And that's when I started collecting all the records and all the, and all the, the tapes. I, I watched Help, which... I know, which I didn't think was a patch on Hard Day's Night, and I'm, I, I can see you up uh, from that time. And, yeah, that's when I kind of really got into rock music. I started collecting Zeppelin, Stones, uh, Van Morrison, uh, and, and, yeah, love it, uh, The Kinks. Uh, tell tell yeah. me more about this uh, time around 14, where you first kind of really got into the Beatles? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, 14 seems to be an evolutionary age for most young men, if I can be so ponderous and pretentious. Uh, but for some people, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the awakening of their 
sexual appetite, whether you know they, they like men or women. But for me, it was listen to music. There was something about the about the electric guitar that spoke wonders. And um, I remember telling my parents when I was about fourteen that there was this album I really needed to get, but it was a bit expensive. And they thought, what is it? A, a Kanye West, Jay Z, Jay Z, Eminem? No, the White Album. You might have heard of it. And they both, and they they cracked up laughing. Uh, yeah, I, uh, this uh, really underground band. You know, <laughs> you probably never heard of them. Yeah. Around that time, I watched The Last Waltz, which is this, if you haven't seen it, although who am I kidding? Of course you've seen it. It's, you know, a sumptuously filmed, yearning look at, say, rocks from, like, late 60s idealism into 80s materialism. And, you know, you've got Robbie Robertson, you know, uh, speculating on how rock began and where it's heading. And uh, he, he looked great in the leather jacket. And, yeah, I, uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, around that time, you know, I was watching Blade Runner and License to Kill with Timothy Dalton. And yeah, Robbie Robertson looked the, he just looked the business. And I was like, musicians, man, that's where... Who do you think would win in a fist fight? Timothy Dalton or Robbie Robertson? Dalton, obviously. I mean, I mean, have, did you not, have you not seen him in, in License to Kill? Have I seen Robbie Robertson in License to Kill? No, I mean, I don't... No, I suppose I haven't. Uh, is was Robbie Robertson known for his fist fights? I don't. I don't know too much about the band. I I don't know much about his personal life. It's this is just pure speculation. Uh, I know. I know that Levon, you know, threatened him to a couple of fist fights. Uh, I know that uh, unfortunately Levon Helm and Robbie Robertson absolutely actively didn't get on uh, to the point of they weren't speaking when Helm died in 2012. But. Uh, I mean, we know what we know, but for all we know, uh, the band could have been a front for an underground dog fighting ring or something. As Mike McGear says, what do we really know? What do we really know? Uh, Have you met Mike McCartney? He's a lovely, lovely man. No, but I I wish I have. Um, I interviewed him in 2019, and I interviewed him more recently, and midway through the interview, the second time around, he went, I just remembered the interview now that we did two years ago, and I was like, I mean, that, as you know, that was a special moment. Yeah. I mean, for now, all I have is, you know, my Scaffold albums. Yes, uh, Liverpool. Yes, actually. Um, uh, during the second interview, I, I said, oh, I started singing to Liverpool Lou, and then he said, come on, come on, and we sang it together. Why don't you be well, that was a magical moment. Singing the scaffold song with Mike McCartney. But it's not a scaffold song. It's a it's a Dominic Behan song. But it was it was recorded by the scaffold. You know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, it's like it was, it's like singing Liverpool. It's pretty pretty cool. So yeah, uh, yeah. In terms of. Uh, Music journalism. How did what role did the Beatles play in your kind of desire to become a music journalist? That was the most fucking clunky way I could have segued, but that that's what the show's for. Oh, okay, um, yeah, I think I think so. Around the same age, fourteen, I I, I, t- I told my parents I want to be a journalist when I was older, and they said, "Where did this come from?" Uh, and perhaps they thought it was a fad. 
and in many ways it probably still is. Uh, and is that when you got your first uh, trilby? First trilby. <laughs> no, it was around the time I read the Maltese Falk. Started trying to look like. Uh, no joke, actually. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as we say, fourteen was a, a, a it's a very memorable year. I also read uh, Misery, uh, the Stephen King book, and I thought, oh God, maybe this luck isn't all. I might be kidnapped, and I might disappoint my fans. And uh, but uh, when I was fourteen, I there was an Irish website called Entertainment.ie. Like I'd like these like fifty words, little pieces, thinking, oh yeah, this is investigative journalism. Thankfully, thing. Uh, I would not want to. Uh, but when I went to UCC, University College Cork, uh, I started writing pieces for the UCC Express, and which is the newspaper, and the UCC Motley, which was the magazine. <clears throat> and, yeah, I think it was when I was in second year, I wrote a piece on B-sides that were, you know, superb B-sides. <clears throat> and so I mentioned Maggie May, which was <clears throat> the B-side to Reason to Believe, for Rod Stewart, that uh, DJs flipped over and uh, because they liked it a lot more. Another was XTC's Dear God, which was the B-side to Grass, which was a Colin Moulding tune. Uh, you and I are both XTC aficionados. Pleasure of interviewing both Colin and Andy. They're both... Okay, good. you don't have to brag. You don't have to brag. <laughs> Gregory, so... Uh, uh, and of course, it ended with Rain and just basically saying that, you know... Uh, uh, just saying, uh, the Beatles as ever uh, rushed, uh, showed, presented a, a song, uh, inviting the the rest of the world to catch up. And then I, I wrote, in many ways, it never did. Dot 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 dot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I remember that ending, thinking it was so profound. I laugh at it now, but uh, uh, yeah, that's. But uh, so from those university journals, I. I I developed a taste for music journalism, I suppose. Uh, uh, although I think it really manifested only a couple of years ago when I started writing for We Are Cult, which I've now left because of a disagreement I had with the editor in question, uh, which is where I probably properly learned my trade. Twenty-four. I was doing my masters in the University of Glasgow, actually, and. And one day I, I just I just thought I could I could interview Steve Hackett from Genesis and to my shock I just told yeah he's available and uh, one day the phone rang and it was Steve Hackett on the phone and I nearly had a conniption uh, but from that I you know and one day I interviewed Youth about the Fireman Project about his project with Paul McCartney and that was the first one where I kept pinching myself saying I'm asking this guy who's worked with Paul McCartney about but uh, luckily, youth couldn't have been nicer, uh, and he, he he too, you know, giggled and cackled throughout the phone call, saying, "I mean, so you know, think, realizing I'm working with Paul McCartney, I'm working with Dave Gilmore, and and life can't get better." Uh, so that helps. Uh, and then I think uh, a good a piece that I a popular piece I wrote was a piece I did with Richard Houston about Frillington, which, as you know, is an obscure Paul McCartney project. Uh, yeah, and so it began with, with obviously with the long road snafu, and he talked about Phil Spector saying, 
This guy wanted harps, he wanted strings, and doing his broad American accent on the telephone. But from there we went on into Thrillington, that Paul forgave him, and that they on this really rather lovely album that uh, sounds as a nice accompaniment to Ram. And I think once I got some big names on my CV, I then started writing for other publications like New Sounds, which was a reprise of Sounds Magazine, which was a popular British music tabloid. Uh, it was before my time, Sounds folded in 1991, uh, so it was clearly before your time too. And uh, What do you mean? Pardon? What do you mean? I'm 40. Okay, well, I mean, you look 40. Okay, thank <laughs> you. I, tr- I try my best. Oh, uh, yes, I mean, life begins at, life begins at 40. Uh, <laughs> I don't put on all these prosthetics for nothing. Well, uh, uh, it's not actually about dying here. It's just that Linda likes when I'm grown. <laughs> but once I started getting big names, uh, I started writing for New Sounds, Fire Up Magazine, The Digital Fix. I interviewed one of your country's finest actors, Kobe Smulders, for The Fix. Uh, that was, really? Yeah. Uh, I got an email. I literally got an email saying, Kobe Smulders has a British indie film. Would you like to interview her? And I had to read it twice. Read it again. I sent it to my editor. They said, "What do you think?" And I, I paraphrased to saying, "We would be delighted to interview Kobe Smulders." Which uh, translation is fucking of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like you were looking at, and you get, you get, I mean, Kobe Smulders. From how I met your mother, you're, I'm going to say, and she couldn't have been nicer. I mean, I mean, hi, Owen. How are you? Uh, that's my Kobe Smulders impression. Uh, it, it sounds like Robin Sparkles is in the room. Oh God, no! She probably not. Uh, I'm not too. I'm actually not too familiar with Helen. But... Oh, don't worry. Neither am I. Okay, it's a pretty good show. Uh, if, if it's a choice between How I Met Your Mother or The Rise of Friends, from I'm going to choose How I Met Your Mother. So let I <laughs> see. This is what I mean earlier. I I am so out of practice. I keep trying to start sentences, but they kind of run out of steam. Okay, so we're talking about the music press. You're talking about Sounds Magazine. I want to ask you something. Kind of in a dream world, if you could have written for any music publication in any time period, oh God. what would you have chosen? Oh God. that's a very tricky question. Uh... Probably Melody Maker because that's you know that was very he's very sympathetic to Prague and uh, yeah uh, when I inter- uh, but Sounds Magazine was was excellent I asked when I interviewed Andy Partridge I asked him can I can I do this interview for now New Sounds and he went yeah they were pretty good I mean they weren't quite as snotty as NME they were a bit more you know uh, 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 as Andy Part in a way that only Andy Partridge can I mean he really he really cuts through the the nonsense and gives you yeah, uh, I never interviewed John Lennon, but I got to interview Andy Partridge, so that's a pretty good uh, follow. He's the next best thing. He really is. You ask him a question for twenty minutes later, you go on to the next question. I, I should have I should have written that in my email trying to get him. Should have called him the the second coming of Lennon. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Uh, oh well. I, although I personally... I'll, I'll save it for Dave Gregory. Yeah, I personally prefer, although I think George was also a great interviewer, and he just, he just had some great one-liners. If you read the Ashley Cannon book, he just, George really knew how to sell a great, a great 
the zinging line. Uh, what's, that, what's that George quote when he was arrested? I'm a tidy man. I put my socks in the socks drawer and my hash in the, in the, in the hash box. That, that's one of my favorite George quotes of all time. Uh, or when he was asked by the Traveling Wilburys wooden tour, he said, why stay in hotel rooms and watch your life go by? But you know, it's kind of how, how he saw it. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with a very broad question that could go in a couple different ways. Okay, no need no need to raise your fists for for the for the listeners. He he's raised his fists in anger. Yeah. You 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 Adrian you. <laughs> Sorry, the only the only Rocky I'm familiar with is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, uh, good good call. What? Do the Beatles mean to you specifically? See what I mean? The Beatles provide a synthesis of musical homogeneity, but in a paralysis of. Okay, I'll start uh, with the nonsense. Bingo! Okay, you said all the words on my sheet. <laughs> um, they represent fun. They represent wild. They weave. They represent maturity. They're re- they're the they're the, the tent poles we can all aspire to be. I mean, we go from such primitive rock from please please me to such sophisticated rock, um, transcendental rock of the White Album in six years. I mean, they show, if they can change that much in six years, why can't the rest of us? I don't think, I can't think of another band that showed such great evolution in such a short period of time. Yeah, I can't either. I'm trying to think. Are there any other bands that have changed? No. I, I'm surprised it's taken 70 episodes for someone to say the word homogeny. Yeah, I suppose, but I mean, yeah, I what do they represent? Just blissful happiness and a connection to Ireland. I mean, there's not that many. I mean, before we had Dexies or the Probes or so many bands from England proclaiming their own. We had the Beatles, who were, you know, three quarters proudly Irish. I mean, we had to give up Ringo, which is a shame. Uh, don't, you, don't you just hate it when you have to give up Ringo? All jokes aside, I think the Get Back series shows just how important Ringo was. I mean, there's that wonderful scene towards the end when Paul goes, Yeah, but who wants to play on this? Well, I don't want to play. And Ringo goes, Oh, I want to play. Let's play. And they, guess what? They play. Ringo wills it. I know, yeah. I mean, he's the, I mean, when they open the roof, they're all looking back on Ringo. He's directing the band. It's, it's not a very popular. Uh, viewpoint, but I think that's probably right. Ringo, Ringo was the secret mastermind behind everything in the Get Back sessions. Probably, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I wrote that in the far back in the article in far back that Ringo comes across the best of the four of them because you know. Oh, he definitely does. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, because you know, he doesn't need to be on camera the way that Paul and John do, but when he when he speaks, he gives rational answers, well thought, rounded answers. I I was kind of surprised how bad John came across in the in the series. In what way? Well, it just seemed 
he, he was so out of it and he was so caught up in being John Lennon, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. they're trying to work and he's just like, oh, ho, and you know, just spouting off all the quips, Curious. just laying down. Yeah, I, I, I like to meet all of you for her and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I said this on, on another show, but I think it would have the, the Get Back series would have been a lot better if uh, they brought in Ron Howard from Arrested Development oh. to do like narration. It's like, yes, John, have you written any songs? Yeah, tons of them. He hadn't. <laughs> That's actually a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, or Eric Idle. So, we go over here to see... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't practiced an Eric Idle impression. I can do a pretty good John Cleese. It was 50 years ago today. Or, well, should it be 50 years ago, two years ago? <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, the Beatles thought they were the best thing in Britain, thought they would have promoted themselves, but they didn't, so they won't. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I did a better John Cleese when I appeared on Anthony Rotano's podcast a couple of years ago, uh, of imitating him on the, uh, you know, during the debates for the lack of brand. They say that the, that the Bible is a temple, well, I say that it isn't. That's a good John Cleese. Thank you. Uh... Yeah. Uh, Probably better than the real John Cleese nowadays. Well, I can't stand the yeah, ever since that Cleese started attacking the Irish people and saying, Well, I mean, England was under invasion from the Normans, and I suspect that we had wanderers longer than our England was under control. <laughs> yeah, and like. It, it's very easy for people to not say things, and yet they continue to choose to say things. Yeah, I mean, Graham Linehan is the worst offender. I, I mean, yeah, Linehan's written some nasty things about me on his blog. I mean, why why would he write about me? Th this is this is the IT crowd guy, right? IT crowd father Ted, but recently he's been, uh, IT crowd is when his transfer when people accused him of transphobia because in one particular episode a trans woman says she's she's she now she's a woman. And yeah. her ex-lover beats the crap out of her at the end, and it's okay because she's a man. So it's okay, he can just smash her through. It was, you know, it's, a, it's really vile and gross. And, and, but instead of, instead of Linan being you know, a, a top adult about it and apologizing for that sketch, when did Linan start writing, started going on the anti-trans move and then got themselves banned off Twitter because they said that it meant something along the lines of men can never be women and... So he, he got on the, the J.K. Rowling Magical Mystery Turf bus. Yeah, I mean, worse than J.K. Rowling. I mean, uh, there's been comments. I mean, the police have had to investigate. I I, 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 don't, I don't get into details, but yes, I mean, the police were called over and for questioning and for harassment. And uh, Linan went on television comparing comparing uh, some of the trans friends. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not an expert. But he compared the process to Nazi experiments on live television. Jesus. I know. Uh, and then wondered why. Yeah. And then. And then. Why Lennon was called an anti-Semite? And just a. Yeah. It, it, I. I would have stopped watching the IT crowd entirely. Oh, you I know, because of his stuff. Except, uh, you know, I, I can't get enough of Matt Berry. <laughs> Well, uh, fair play to Matt Berry. I interviewed Berry. I didn't ask him. But... I know you interviewed Matt Berry. I was I was giving you a bit of a segue. Well, that's very kind of you. 
But in another interview, when he was asked about sharing the opinions of that man and made it very clear, made it clear that he's disconnected completely. Yeah. Matt Berry's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I avoided the temptation to go, Father, and with yeah. Matt voice. Computer man, fix my pants. Computer man, that slightly in voice. Yeah. Well, I wonder what could be a... Apologies to Matt Berry for a terrible impression of him on my part. Well, I wonder what could, could be in this drawer. Well, a gun! Yeah. I wonder might... if it's loaded. Uh, he's probably better known in England and Ireland for Toast of London, which he, which he wrote with Linan's former co-writer, Arthur Matthews. And Toast a... of London's fantastic. It's, it's, I, I, can't, I can't praise it enough. Yeah. Mrs. Pratchett, you're looking very good today. Very good. <laughs> uh. Oh, oh, the Beatles. Yeah, I forgot. I I looked over and I saw an action figure of Paul McCartney. It's like, oh, fuck. I forgot the show was about the Beatles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at me and I'll tell you that it's the Beatles. Uh, they're the best band in the world. So they were really walking good. I, I, no comment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. No comment on your impression. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. S some days he just. I I don't know. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, no, I mean, some days you can do a good poll. Oh, here's 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 a good question. What's the weirdest argument you've gotten in with someone over the Beatles? Because I've had plenty. Uh, that all the solo re releases in 1970 were preferable to Let It Be. And and you were arguing that they were? Yeah, I mean, every mental journey, I'm, I'm going to put that out there. Uh, by, by solo releases, I'm not talking the ambient kind of weird... Uh, Yoko, I'm talking Yoko and Lenny projects. I'm talking, you know, the, the ones with melodies and songs. Instrumental <laughs> so, Journey, McCartney, uh, Boku, all things Plastic Ono. I I think that's a that's a no brainer that well, it's I, better. But, but I mean, so many people say no, no, let it be. It's yeah. I've said it once, I'll say it a hundred fucking times. Let It Be is the worst Beatles album. Mm -hmm. It's barely a Beatles album. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's no wonder Paul felt like crying. I mean, it was, they were giving up their autonomy. I mean, they, they asked this guy with no connection at all to the Beatles to, to salvage it. And for those who can't see, I'm using quotation uh, Yes. Yeah, I don't think he salvaged it. I think he just wrecked it. That that may be the strongest argument for turning the show into a video podcast, just so the the audience can see whenever either of us does the the air quotation marks. Um, no, I agree with you. It's the worst. I mean, as much as I love Get Back, I think, it's, and I like the the film Let It Be. The album itself, um, even without the even without the the spectre alterations, as miserable as they are, it's still a patchy album. And for the Beatles, patchy isn't yeah. 
Especially being released after Abbey Road. Hell, in the United States, released after the the Hey Jude compilation, which is a pretty good compilation, even though it's weird. Is Hey Jude on that compilation? Um, I'll have to get back to you on that. Speaking of get back... So another thing is that oh. saying, we'll have Houses on the Holy on the next album. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I, I still like Zeppelin. I mean, I know that I know that I know that some of their antics are a bit regrettable. Yeah. Looking at you, Jimmy Page. I know. I, I don't think Bonham and Plant. Just themselves many favors either. No. Um, I'm I'm sure John Paul Jones has done stuff too, but I don't know. It's a weird time. And it sounds like Bowie had some skeletons in his closet. Uh, some in in Ireland who said that maybe the Netflix should do a documentary. Did you know that David Bowie and his teenage girls? The shocking truths. Oh. I just remembered another question I was going to ask you because you mentioned Ireland and you are, uh, you're Irish, I think. What she gave that away? Is it? Is... It was. It was your eyes. Well, of course. I mean, I, mean, I do have sumptuous brown eyes. <laughs> I'm back, I can see you ogling me, and I, I, I appreciate a bit more professional decorum there, Ethan. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, this is why I don't usually do video. Yeah. I mean, as as you well know, I mean, if I had if I had a female doppelganger, it would be Laura Band Brannigan. Who I do know that. You very that's how we first interacted. It is. You very tastefully put my face on Laura Brannigan's. I mean, what? at the request of, uh, you know, Martin. Martin, yeah. Good old, Good old Martin. Good old Marv. Uh, so, uh, so I, I'm going to make you speak on behalf of your entire country here. Uh. What do the Irish think of the Beatles? Uh, yeah, we love them. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I lived in Dublin in 2019, there was Beatle Week. Really nicely attended. That's how I kind of got to know the Nothing Is Real guys, Jason and Stephen. If you're listening, guys, nice, um, here's a nice shout out. I'm, I'm, I'm sure everyone's heard their podcast. It's absolutely yeah. magnificent. Don't worry. They, they probably have much better things to do than listen to this show. Don't put yourself down. Uh, no, I mean, I mean... I'll put myself wherever I want to. Ooh, I like... Um, I think... You know, yeah, I mean... We might, have, we might have reclaimed them the way we might have with the Smiths or Oasis. I mean, the Smiths and Oasis are Irish bands. They're not British bands. So take your off them. Uh, do, you, do you really want to reclaim the Smiths, though? I mean, have you heard the Meet Murder album? Of course we do. Yes, I have. I one of my more unpopular opinions, depending on who you ask, is I can't stand Morrissey's voice. I I I saw him in Dublin in 2014, and it was like a homecoming for the king. Rodging slowly over Wetsands back to the bench. I mean, he had a house in Dublin for a 
I mean, he grew up in Manchester, but he's effectively Irish. Like Johnny Marr, though. Oh, yeah. He's cool. No, they're Irish, man. I mean, that's what the guys say. They're not, they're not, they're not English. They're Irish. They grew up in Manchester, but they're Irish. Uh, but you aren't, you, you're, you're claiming Oasis, but not Pulp or uh, Blur. Well, I mean, because Blur and Pulp don't have, don't, are not ostensibly like Oasis. I've into again, another interview I've done with the drummer, Tony McCarroll. He said, we, he said it himself. We were an Irish band. I mean, they all had Irish parents. They all went back to Ireland for the summers. And he told me McCarroll, like he did some, spent some time in either primary or secondary school. He told me that's where one of his first gigs was playing on the was playing with someone on the whistle. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense though, especially when people, you know, yeah. sorry Oasis fans, when people accuse them of being like Beatles copycats. It, it makes more. It's it does them a favor in terms of like being an Irish band, whereas Blur, yeah. you know, Park Life, they're they're copying the Small Faces, which yeah. uh, I can't think of a more English group than the Small Faces. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't even say British. I would say English for Small Faces. I yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to get on with me neighbors, Banner? Thank you very clear. They got nothing for ages. Oh, I fucking, I love the small faces. It never ceases to amaze me, the amount of, of second-generation Irish musicians. I mean, I went to see Public Image Limited with John Lydon when I lived in Madrid. And he at one point said, so you don't want to learn English, that's all right, I'm Irish. I mean, he is. He has an Irish passport, his parents are both Irish. He just grew up in London. Uh, I was just chuckling because you mentioned, you know, John Lydon, and he he's, he he manages to get himself into some fun situations. Isn't he in the midst of being? He's either being sued, or he was, or is suing the other Sex Pistols because of the documentary or the TV series. I think something like that. I I, I don't know. It all seems kind of risable. Uh. I interviewed Dan Matlock, who is the bassist, and uh, it's quite clear he doesn't think much of Leiden. Uh, I, I, he said, yeah, he's, he's, the only, he's the only pad, as an Irish person, pad in the band, and he's promoting Brexit. Uh, yeah, not to get too political, but I think Brexit was. I mean, what do you think, or what do you expect from a guy who wrote, uh, you know, a, a beautiful, meaningful song with lyrics like, I could be wrong. I could be right, and yet that and yet that uh, refrain "May the road rise with you" is an Irish proverb, and that he would have learned that from his grandparents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like, I like, I like, I like "Rise." I think it's a, it's also it's, the written word is a lie. Yeah, uh, it's it's about South Africa, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I think I think Lightning's had his moments. Uh, this is not love. Uh, or I, I do love the Metal Rock album. I mean, that's that's like that's. I think that's where Lennon wanted to take his music to next. But if he if he just chosen to continue, that's like the next stage of plastic going on. It would have been interesting to see where where Lennon went in yeah. the whole new wave post punk kind of world. 
It would have been. Um, I'm not one for speculating personally. Uh, I think he also he also seemed to be he seemed to enjoy retirement. I think he seemed happier in himself. I the double fantasy album doesn't have much of an edge to it, so maybe that was the direction he was heading in. Could be. I don't know. I don't really rate the double fantasy album. It's too nice. Surprisingly, my favorite song on that album is a Yoko song. You oh. can't get much better than "Kiss Kiss Kiss," in my opinion. I, I think I think those songs are way better on that album. Uh, there's a lot more attitude. Uh, kiss 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 me love. Not to perpetuate like the old, you know, talking points, but who to thunk? Yeah. Ah. And then again, the songs I like most on the Sometime in New York City album are hers. We run water in different rivers. One day we'll evaporate together. I'm like, that's a good metaphor. Yeah. We, we were talking about uh, XTC earlier and Andy Partridge. And uh, you and I had a, I think one of the first kind of talks we had, we were talking about uh Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding yeah. as kind of parallels to Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, I think I think there's something to that. Uh, I think Partridge is probably more the Lennon and Moulding more than McCartney. I mean, uh, Partridge said something similar in that he said, my words are better, but Colin gets the gold medal for melodies. Well... I think this was even the example I used, like the two songs back-to-back on uh, Oranges and Lemons. You have the words of Mayor of Simpleton, yeah. which it's it's one of the best written songs, ever. I think, yeah. ever. And then the next track, uh, King for a Day. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the melody of that. I know. When you consider that uh, that Press to Play was, in, was often in search of a melody... Especially on the tracks that Paul didn't do with Eric Stewart and Ken Michaels is saying this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I mean, I think Paul would have killed for that melody at that time. Now, I'm trying to imagine what a King for a Day would have been like with a McCartney vocal. Well, I can imagine an Eric chiming in, like, I mean, we're Oh, but you have to also imagine, if it's 89, the kind of uh, nasal screeches of Elvis Costello in the background, too. Yeah. Some people lament the fact that there wasn't a Costello McCartney album. I don't. I don't think that. I don't, they're just too different. They're just not in the same ballpark as artists. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's that's not saying I don't like Elvis Costello. No, no. Love him. Yeah, I mean, sometimes... I mean... Uh, in Ireland, there's a band called the Duckwork Lewis Method, which has Thomas Walsh from Pugwash and Neil Hannon from The Divine Comedy. And Thomas is like working class Dublin, and Neil is upper class Oscar Williams type poetry. And yet they work so well together. That That's a great band. You, you mentioned uh, Thomas Walsh. If, if any of you out there haven't listened to Pugwash, yeah. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah I. I think, it's nice to be nice is one of my favorite songs. Oh, it's it's yeah. I mean, you you, uh, you heard it in in Starbucks all over Dublin. It's a it's a lovely tune. 
um, I, I know Thomas a tiny bit, and we've had some emails together, and and uh, he was really flattered during the Matt Berry interview that Matt said, oh, uh, Thomas's day will come, and he should write for Liam Gallagher. Yeah. Liam Gallagher? Liam Gallagher, Oasis. No, I was, I was going to say, I, I know who you're talking about, but I don't... You're, you're Irish. Yeah. Well, the thing is, yeah, it should be Gallagher, but for some reason in the UK they say Gallagher, so everyone thinks it's um, uh, similar. I mean, there's a comedian called Dylan Moran, but in the UK they call him Dylan Moran. And there's an interview where he says, I just gave up on telling people it's Moran. He should have just dropped the last name and gone with, like, Dylan, like Prince. Ooh, that's something, yeah. I, I often think, and I've said this uh, before to friends, 90% of the problems in my life would be solved by changing my name to an unpronounceable symbol. Then they usually ask, like, what the hell do you mean by that? And then I don't elaborate any further. No, my prince wouldn't. No, he would, and that's what Prince would have wanted. So you, so you're, so you would be the podcaster formerly known as Ethan Alexian. Sure. Yeah. I understand how we said Alexian. Alexanian. Alexanian. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Alexanian. No, no worries, uh, Ewan. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, but uh, going back to what you said about Ireland, uh, when I interviewed Mike McCartney the first time, he made a very family, even though they grew up in Liverpool. And I think George and John had the same, would have said the same. I think it's only, yeah, it's only Ringo. And I was disappointed to hear that Ringo used to play in the Orange uh, the Orange Brigade in, in Liverpool. For those who don't know, the Orange Brigade are ultra-Protestant, anti-Catholic. They, I mean, they're, they're probably not as aggressive in the UK, but in Belfast, they've been known to parade into, um, into Catholic areas and from, um, you know, singing these horrible songs about these anti-Catholic tunes and banging drums and deafening people, and then sometimes, you know, unfortunately, some some people take matters further and throw bricks at, at the Catholics. Man, the Orange Brigade sounds like a lot less fun than the Fire Brigade by the Move. It's weird. I mean, that, it would have been a very different song. Yeah. They're celebrating a war that happened in 1690. Maybe time to move on from that stuff. But uh, no one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that was tell. It was very cleverly mocked in Train Spotting 2, where uh, two of the characters are caught in, say, a, a sort of an orange uh, Rangers type type bar, and they have to sing this really aggressive anti-Catholic. Before, if they're not, unless they avoid exposing themselves. Did you watch Train Spotting 2? Um, I think I did, but mo I I can't remember most of the movies I've seen in the okay. last year. I don't think that scene would have gotten a laugh outside of Britain or Ireland, but I mean, uh, say in Glasgow, having lived in Glasgow, a lot of people either identify as very Irish or very British, and there's no sort of in between. So, uh, especially in the football divisions between Celtic, between Celtic and Rangers. You see a lot of Irish flags on one side and Union Jacks on the other. So, um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, I was warned not to go into a Rangers pub because they just lost a, a match quite badly. Ooh. Might have gotten a bit nasty. Yeah. Let, let's go back to the Beatles again. Yeah. I'm going to hit you with the uh, 
the fuck did I used to call them? Favorite album? Uh, something. Spit. Quick. Favorite album? Squid. Uh, <laughs> quick fire questions. Quick I almost said, questions. you know, squid. Okay, quick fire questions. Whatever. Um, favorite Beatles song? Favorite Beatles song. Okay, okay that's it. As of today, it is here, there, and everywhere because it's just so well designed and encapsulates so much in, a, in only in less than three minutes. So I'm gonna go with that one. I mean, it's if I have to name one song from Revolver, which as we both know is the best Beatles album, it's probably here, there, and everywhere, which is just like, it's just the perfect pop song. It's Paul McCartney's favorite song. It was John Lennon's favorite songs. It's just so well put together. It's, and, and George's guitar with that, you know, that, that, yeah. that slightly James Bond riff and the, the beach soaring Beach Boy harmonies and and just how clever like it's only when I read the Barry Miles book that he pointed out how mature it is going from like here there everywhere the perspective the verses that it's I mean from a guy who was 23 not not particularly well educated uh, sorry sorry for how horrible that sounded but like I mean, this isn't like an academic professor writing such a book like. This isn't Samuel Beckett, who, who you know, uh, teaches French and philosophy in Dublin and Paris before he goes on to write these, you know, great existential plays. This is a guy from Liverpool coming up with this beautiful, wandering. Li- yeah, it's Paul's. It's Paul's finest song. And Paul- a pop star from Liverpool. Yeah, okay, okay, a pop star from Liverpool. But I mean, it's still like I mean, I, I, I think even George Martin's mouth dropped when he just saw how just incredibly sophisticated this dream is. So for today. I think it'll be here, there, and everywhere. And uh, you, you kind of made my next question uh, null and void, so I'll just ask you in place of that, why is Revolver the best Beatles album? Because the three songwriters just all stepped up to the plate, and they're all, you know, they all carry their own voices. Um, you know, uh, Lennon has carved a niche as this psychedelic, as this great psychedelic writer. Uh, Paul has really stepped up as an incredible song composer and George's voice in that sort of in coming up with these Indian cadences and even experiments with Love You Too. And I mean, it's got great rockers like Taxman and She Said, She Said. It's got these spiraling, sprawl, these spiraling ballads like uh, Here, There and Everywhere, Eleanor Rigby and uh, and Love You Too. Or Love You Too, should be pronounced. Uh, it's got these great, you know, great piano licks on uh, Good Day Sunshine and and I Want to Tell You. And I mean, it might be Ringo's finest hour as a drummer. I mean, just everywhere is, uh, he's, you know, there's tom-toms, there's cylinders. And then at the end, you know, he comes in with this big crashing drum sounds that, you know, are preempted when the levy breaks in 1971. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's uh, Tomorrow Never Knows. Would probably come in a close second to me because it's like it's probably the greatest experiment in sound. Um, so yeah, those I mean, here, there, and everywhere, and, and tomorrow never knows in one album. I mean, <sighs> At, from from a guitar player perspective, when I am just you know sitting down to play like Beatles songs, like you know trying to think of riffs, I think the the album with the best riffs on it is revolver sure. like when i because fucking tax man she said she said um i want to tell you dr robert and your bird can sing yeah incredible i mean it's got some of paul's best bass playing as well i mean 
Um, I mean, it's spearheaded the Jam, Jesus and Mary Chain. It's spearheaded U uh, two. I mean, they all the Jam. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, the Jam used going underground. I mean, Lisley Fox does that kind of kind of bass thing that pulled it. Yeah. Oh, and the the song Start is basically just Tax Man. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a bit of a. But um, at least, uh, well, I was, you know, ballsy enough to say, George isn't going to sue me. He's in enough trouble himself because of the, my sweet Lord snafu. Uh, God love Paul Weller. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I've interviewed the other two from the jam. I haven't interviewed Paul. What, I'm trying to remember that one of them is, I want to say Bruce Foxton. Yeah, the bass player, yeah. And the, the drummer. Rick Buckler. Uh, Rick. Actually, Rick was an amazing interview because, I mean, he really made it very clear he has no I mean, I, I didn't ask him these questions, but he just made it. He just, uh, he just, I mean, you can read the interview in Culture Sonar. A couple of the people underneath the comment section made it, commented on that, but like, I mean, the, you know, the venom was spilling out. Well, go read it then. Yeah. It, I mean, listeners. What, what are you doing listening to this podcast? Read my fucking work. Hey. Only I'm allowed to tell people not to listen to my podcast. Okay, after this podcast, read my fucking work. Yeah. Okay. But I can say, stop stop listening to this stupid fucking show, go read this work. Okay, listen to this magical, mysterious, mystical show, and then read my fucking work. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we arrived there. Yeah. So, on the flip side of the last two kind of questions, what's your least favorite Beatles song? Uh, yeah, it has to be. Sorry, George. Like me too much. Such an anodyne twee shunt lyrics. Uh, yeah, I mean, I imagine everyone mocked Ringo for, for, the, for the fact that you know Paul had to come in and rescue. Uh, don't let. Uh, what's the song from the White Album? The, the country. Don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. I was, I was going to call it. Don't Everyone mocks Paul for salvaging, you know, don't, don't pass me by, to make it so much. Paul, the only good thing about you like me too much is Paul's piano and George Martin's piano. Otherwise, it really is such a juvenile lyric. I really do, and it'd be nice if you... Ah, oh, it's, I mean, I'm... This coming from the same man who, in 1967, could write something as spectacular in you without you, and that's only two years later. And this is such a plotting, anodyne lyric. There's none, there's none of the semblance of, of Beware of Darkness or Awaiting on You All from this track. And uh, kind of predictably, my next question, and we've already touched on this, what's the worst Beatles album? Or your least favorite? Yeah, so it's either between Beatles for Sale or Let It Be. Uh, it's between those two for me. Uh, Beatles for Sale is a lazy attempt, and Let It Be is a botched attempt. So I think botched is a bit worse than lazy. So I'm gonna go with Let It Be. Well, I just I it's not an album. Yeah, I I would agree with that as well. I mean, well, you could make the same argument for Yellow Submarine, which I but at least I mean the. At least, if they only contributed four songs, you can't get much better than Hey Bulldog or It's All Too Much. Yeah. yeah. It's, you'll, if, if you're only going to contribute so much, yeah. 
like, and you just give us only a northern song. Yeah, I mean that's like pretty... if, if only a northern song was the only Beatles song on that album, it would still probably be in my top ten Beatles albums. It's a very good song. Yeah, it's a bit. I mean, it's 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 also showing just how out there the Beatles were and how willing they were. To... I mean, Paul's trombone he's playing, but it's just so wacky and. Yeah, it's got great atmosphere. Uh, and the the contemporary classical music played, you know, very speed with the tape. Yeah, uh, like I think that's wonderful. Yeah, and it's all too much. I mean, it's just an out and out. Yeah, it's it's one of those like it fit in right with the time period. Yeah. The you know, such a free form. You know, let's go all down and blow our minds. And talking, you know, and psychedelic rave ups. I'm talking again about Ringo's drumming. I mean, what incredible drum! That's Keith Moon shit right there. Yeah. Yeah. And the the last question I want to ask you uh, before I I let you uh, you know pluck oh. things. Um, We're already. I will give you ten. Okay, this is something I haven't done before, but I thought I thought of this this morning, and I thought this would be kind of fun. Yeah. If you were talking to someone who has never heard of the Beatles or like doesn't know their story, how would you describe the Beatles in as few words as possible and like, summarize their story? That's a very tricky question. Uh... Uh, watch. Oh, I'll, do, I'll simply tell them rent out yesterday and just see how bland pop music has become without them. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Without the Beatles, the Stones don't have a competitor. Led Zeppelin don't have a competitor. Uh, the Beach Boys don't have, you know, a, a British equivalent. The Small Faces and Kings don't have someone to aspire to be. I mean, there's no other band that has, you know, that has transcended so much of an influence. Uh, they've become the apex of basically anything. I mean, if you take away the stones from from the plants, we're missing Aerosmith, we're missing Crazy Horse, we're missing we're missing much of the punk bands. We take away the Beatles, and it's virtually a blank canvas. I mean, even yeah. a band like the, the Velvet Underground, who made it very clear how much they detested the Beatles, at least it was a band they could detest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they, they weren't, you know, you didn't hear them saying, oh, we hate Herman's Hermits, probably because Herman's Hermits were so... I'd be nice. Uh, we're so... insipid. <laughs> uh, you hear that, Peter Noon? Fuck you! <laughs> God, I'm so sorry, Peter. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> it's a kind of... Yeah. See, that, that's going to be my new goal for this show. Not only is it, like, you know, vain, insipid attempts at trying to get Mark Lewison on, but now I, I, I am going to perpetuate a feud with Peter Noon. Yes, I mean, yes. Try and make an enemy out of Peter Noon. Peter Noon. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, no one. Hear that, Peter? Fuck you. <laughs> and now I 
I'll I'll do my quick little spiel, and then I'll turn it over to you. So with the show, uh, you can find us on social media pretty much everywhere. Just look up Fans on the Run. It's Fans on the Run podcast on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Fans on the Run pod, because uh, Twitter is a bitch and wouldn't let me put the full name. I rarely use Twitter except to promote these shows and the occasional... uh, I'm not going to call it a nugget of wisdom because it's unwise to call yourself wise. I do it all the time. Not much you. Well, it's unwise. Of course. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, if you like the show, mm-hmm. uh, please give us a rating on, you know, iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if you, if you have a bad rating for us, please don't leave it. Like, <laughs> My self-confidence can't handle another beating. And why would they? I mean, I have to give you credit. I mean, last week when I was suffering, if not insomnia, but sleeplessness, I mean, I, li- I listened to your podcast and it, you know, helped distract. It put you to sleep? <laughs> no, I don't mean it like, I mean, it helped, you know, it helped my thoughts. From, you know, it was a good thing to relax and it was a good thing to kind of to unwind to. Thank you. Oh yeah, and uh, see, I used to have to say this a lot, but ever since the show became streaming only, it feels kind of stupid to say. It's like if you can find us on all major podcasting platforms, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Podbean, Podbay, Pod, whatever the fuck. But if you're listening to the show, that probably means. Well, that definitely means you are on a podcasting platform. So it's kind of preaching to the choir. And now, I turn it over to you, good sir, because I know you're a very busy man, and you have a lot of things, a lot of exciting things going on. Could you please plug as much as you can? Okay, the let floor me find... is yours. That was a vain attempt to plug in a guitar. Uh, yes, so I'm a, well, I don't know what you call them exciting. I, I write for, so I mainly write for Far Out Magazine. I... Around this, the first time we did the botched interview in August, I had before just after interviewed Brian May Queen, uh, which was, you know, okay, that was quite exciting. Uh, uh, yeah, so that can be read um, at Far Out Magazine. You can read some other music people on Far Out Magazine that I've interviewed. I interviewed Pete Best for Far Out Magazine. Uh, you may have heard of Pete Best. He was in a band from Liverpool. Uh, the beat bass band. Uh, okay, I'm yeah. that was a. He was the he was the first drummer, and uh, that was a that was only weeks before the pandemic in 2020. So it's might be my one and only face to face interview. But if you're going to do a face to face, it might as well be with one of the beat uh, Oh, that that's what Confucius said. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I, I wore the closest thing I had to a Hamburg jacket. I think I looked pretty rocking, and I, and he certainly looks. Amazing for seventy nine eighty, uh, yeah. So I have one book written on YouTube. Uh, they're they're a band you may have heard of them. Uh, uh, okay, that's a lame joke. Uh, uh, so Ireland's greatest expert. The the show is based on lame jokes. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, interestingly about U2, they had an album, they had a song called God 2, which was, you know, carrying the narrative on from 
Lenin's God track. Uh, but they made it kind of funky and made it kind of, uh, and and Bono, the lead singer, threw in author Albert Goldman into the mix. Uh, and I'm finishing a book on George Harrison, which, like the YouTube, published by Sonic Bond Press. You can find these on the Sonic Bond website, or you can find them on various platforms all over the internet, uh, basically. And yeah, so I'm mean, finishing and yeah, one or two other interviews to type up. I interviewed John Ilsley from Dire Straits a week ago, I think. And I'm saying that to another outlet. I have other interviews in the pipeline. And yeah, but I mainly write for Fire Magazine because, you know, they're pretty far out. I'll I'll put in the the description for the episodes your your page on far out so people can find this stuff. Very nice. I mean, there's a photo of me looking forlorn in dark clothes, like a brooding writer. I mean, if the shoe fits. If the shoe fits, I don't know if I can tell it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I I mean, obviously, the dream one day is into either Paul or Ringo. Uh, the closest I've come with Ringo is for a British music mag, I had a question, they published a question of mine which was asking him what it was like to work with Peter Sellers, and he gave the answer, well, Peter was a dream to work with. We'd eat fish and chips in the evening. And that kind of... Uh, but until then, I had interviews with Mike McCartney and Pete Best that I can... And I've also done some interviews for Culture Sona with Denny, Denny Lane and Eric Stewart and and a couple of other Beatle people. Uh, I mean, technically, you can say you interviewed a McCartney and the drummer from the Beatles. That's very, thank you, thank you. Yes, why didn't I think of that? I, I had the McCartney joke, uh, but I didn't have the other Beatles. But no, I mean, jokes aside, I, mean, I do think Pete and Mike are formidable artists in their own right. I really, really do. I, I don't think, I think Pete gets enough thing for his drumming, which I don't think is entirely deserved, uh, because, I mean, he can't play. He just didn't play to what he didn't play how he wanted him to play. Uh, I think that's as far as it as far as it goes. I mean, and he's a lovely, lovely man. And I really, really rate the the best of the Beatles album that that he released in '66. Well, I I I just want to say thank you, thank you very much for for coming back, Owen. Well, I'm coming coming back uh, between us, yeah. uh, but coming to the show for the first time. For the listeners. For the listeners, Because yeah. this is the first time we've ever done this. Very true. I mean, uh, we can think of the first one as a trial run to lead. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, been, it's been wonderful to be here. It's certainly a thrill. You're such a lovely host. I'd like to lick you all over. <laughs> I'm going to use that as a sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I have no words. Thank you for listening. You can go home now. I'm just going to leave the show with that. Bands on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Fulton. This has been a Showtown production.